Please open your Bibles to Proverbs 12. Proverbs chapter 12. Last Saturday, I played a new game with some of my kids, and it was a game that I had no prior experience with. And so the first thing that I did was I started reading the instructions. But as I read the instructions, the game still didn't quite make sense to me. Uh, so I said, let's, let's play a practice round. So we did that. And though I had a much better understanding of the game, it wasn't until we played a couple of rounds that I felt like I could actually like, play the game. Now, it can be all too easy for us to think of living life this way. We need an instruction manual, maybe a little bit of experience. So give us some instructions, give us some experience, and we're going to be good. And what we need for, for life is just that, those instructions. And it can be easy for us to think of the Bible this way. We can think that this is all we really need for life, for understanding God's ways. Give me an instruction manual and some experience and I'm good. So that's what we got here. And maybe you've noticed this about instruction manuals. They normally only give you the instructions once. Right? I mean, you read through those instructions and they try to get right to the point right away and they give you only that point. And then they move on. I didn't, when I was reading those instructions for that game, it wasn't like, oh, this is how you play, and then the next page, oh, this is how you play as well, and then the next page, oh, this is how you play. But they just had it all right there, one time. But thanks, thank God that he does not communicate with us that way. The Bible is not a set of instructions for life. What God gives us in his word is far, far better. Because the Bible is God giving himself to us through his word. Through these words, God gives us himself. And we come to know him and his ways in an astounding array of different ways. Sometimes we receive clear instruction. There is some instruction in in the Bible. Live this way, do this, don't do this. But that's not most of the time how God communicates with us. Most of the time, God gives us stories. Other times, God gives us poems and songs and prophecies and parables. Through all of these things, God is giving us pictures and and metaphors that help us to know him, to understand his ways. And through all of these different ways, God purposes to shape not just our actions, live this way, but our imaginations, our thoughts, our, our feelings and our desires, what we love so that we might know him and delight in walking in his ways. And so when we come to Proverbs, what we encounter, it it feels different from what we usually consider in Scripture. In these verses that can seem a little disjointed, we encounter different pictures and metaphors and contrasts and, and promises. And as we read, we want these words to shape our imagination, to let them teach us, to give us understanding. And so, so may this wisdom that we encounter this morning guide our steps and lead us in the way everlasting. And before we, we dive in, let me pray and ask the Lord for, for help. Oh Lord, we need you this morning to hear from you. Spirit, lead us and open our ears and soften our hearts to receive your word. Search us, O oh God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. See if there be any way grievous in us and leave us, lead us in the way everlasting. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning we're simply going to make our way through this text 
verse by verse. But as we begin, I want to just give you a map of this chapter. Uh, I like to get out and about and, and, and hike and run on trails. And the first thing I do when I get to a new trail is I try and find a map and see, okay, what, what does this look like? And we're going to think of this morning as we go through Proverbs 12, uh, think of it as we're going to look at, look at this map and then we're going to take a tour of this trail. We're going to walk these trails together. And before we make our way down its many paths, let's look at this map. And the first thing we do as we, as we look a map is we consider the terrain that we're going to be walking on. Now, sometimes you might come to a map and it's got like a white section and it's because maybe it's covered in snow sometimes. Other times it's all green and it's, it's parkland. There are certain things that we can say about Proverbs 12 that, that make it distinct, that kind of give us an idea of the terrain. Now, as we've talked about, Proverbs is concerned with training in wisdom and the fear of the Lord. That's a father's wisdom to his son. But we can say a little bit more than that. Uh, Proverbs is especially concerned with training young men to live in the world that God has created. So that like a strong and, and tall oak tree that's, that's full of leaves, that these young might flourish in life and in eternity. So that's Proverbs as a whole. That's a really big picture. But Proverbs, what about Proverbs 12? What's the terrain that we're going to be navigating? In this chapter, the, the father, the, the teacher, the sage... He teaches about, generally, relationships. Relationships are, are the terrain that we're going to be navigating. And this is one of the wonderful things about Proverbs. The wisdom that it, it gives is, is wisdom for daily life. And we all navigate relationships. Much of our lives is, is made up of how we do or don't interact with the people that are around us. Now, the most important relationship that we navigate is with the Lord. And we see this in verse 2, a good man obtains favor from the Lord. So how this man relates to the Lord is the most important thing about him. And then the next most important relationship in this life, if you're married, is with your spouse. And verse 4 addresses this. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. I want you to hear how how uh, Charles Bridges, a uh, 19th century pastor, describes this excellent wife. I love how he describes her. He says, She is faithful, chaste and pure, respectfully obedient, immovable in affection, delighting to see her husband honored, respected, and loved, covering as far as possible his failings, prudent in the management of her family, conscientious in the carrying out of her domestic duties, kind and considerate to all around her, and as the root of all, at the root of all, fearing the Lord. Will she be a crown to her husband or make him ashamed? Will she be what God made the woman a helper to be or what Satan made her to be, a tempter to her husband? So God cares a great deal about this relationship, and, and especially as we get to Proverbs 31, we're going to spend a good bit of time on, on this woman. God cares, cares a great deal about how we relate to him and how we relate to one another. And that's what Proverbs 12 wants to present. And in a sense, Proverbs 12, it presents a portrait of a good friend. That's what Proverbs 12 is about, a portrait of a good friend. Now, really quickly, as we're looking at this map, I'm just going to tell you the, the different sections of the trail. So verses 1 through 4, this kind of introduction. Verses 5 through 14, they focus on words and deeds. Words and deeds. 
And then the next section we come to is verses 15 to 23. And that focuses on how to respond when things go wrong. How to respond when things go wrong. And then finally, we're going to make our way back to the trailhead. As any good trail does, it's a loop, right? It's not an out and back, it's a loop. And so we make our way back to the trailhead as the teacher summarizes his teaching in verses 24 to 28. So first we come to this introduction, and it spans verses 1 through 4. Let's read those together. Follow along with me as I read. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Now we're, we're on the trail. We're going to make our way around. Here we are at verse 1, and it begins, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Now, just a quick show of hands. Who loves discipline? Right? We don't think that way. But Proverbs 12 is making the point that we should think that way. It makes the point that if we would be wise, then we would love discipline. Now, this discipline that's talked about here in Proverbs 12.1 is not punishment as the world might think of it. This discipline is instruction. It's correction. It's being put on the right path. If you make a wrong turn on a hike, it's correction that puts you back on the right path. Just yesterday morning, I was out with Chris Loftness and we were, we were running somewhere and I turned down a path that I thought was the right path. And he's like, yeah, you don't want to go that way. I was like, oh, okay. I, I didn't have a problem with it. I actually loved it that he told me that because I would have run further and then had to turn around. But he stopped me and that was good. I love that discipline. Proverbs 12.1 is saying that we should love these words that put us back on the right path. This discipline is the loving words of a loving God or the loving words of a loving parent or the loving words of a loving friend that speaks so that we might walk in the goodness of God's ways. But if we do not love these words, if we hate reproof, as verse 1 says, the Bible calls us not just fools, but stupid. We are like animals. Another translation would be like an ignoramos. When I, went, when I was a kid, we'd go to Cracker Barrel and they would have the little triangle jump the peg game if you've ever done that. And if you couldn't, if you had like four or more left or something like that, it said, you're an ignoramos. It's like, that's, that's the association I got. That's all I got. But that's what it's talking about, it's stupid. You're, you, you don't have the rationality to be distinguished from being an animal. That's who you are if you hate reproof. A good test for where we are with this, and one that I too often fail, is to ask yourself, how do I respond when someone points out my faults to me? How do I respond when someone points out my faults to me? Or do I get upset when someone corrects me? Do I get upset when someone corrects me? And I think we all have that rise in us. Someone says, that's wrong. No, it wasn't. Or you offer an excuse why it was right. Now, if you find yourself getting upset, if something rises up in you when someone tells you that you are wrong, we want to pray to God. Pray to God for a teachable spirit. 
Pray that God would give you a humble heart that loves instruction, that loves discipline. Now, the irony of our response, of this, this rising in our heart that hates reproof, is the assumption that it makes. Because when we get upset when someone corrects us, we're making this assumption that we're already perfect. And if, if I'm perfect, then like, what am I doing here? Or if you're perfect, what are you doing here? This morning, right now, why are you here? If you're perfect, why do you need this book? Why do you need correction? Why do we need a savior? We don't if we're perfect. But you know, and I know, that we are not perfect. None of us are perfect. We need correction. We need instruction. We need discipline. And not only do we need those things, we need to love those things. We need to desire those things so that we might enjoy the goodness of God and his ways. And so with that in mind, that's, that's where Proverbs 12 starts. With that in mind, we're going to move into our first section of the trail, which are words and deeds of a good friend. We're going to look at verses 5 through 14 here. I'm just going to make my way verse by verse through this. Words and deeds of a good friend. First, Proverbs 12 helps us to consider our words. And our words begin with our plans. Look at verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Now, either our, our thoughts and plans and guidance, they're just, right, and truthful, or they are deceitful. Now, a good friend plans what is right and just and true. This is what they, they think about. Whatever is good and whatever is true and whatever is honorable, think, they think about those things. This is the orientation of their thoughts. But a false friend, and, and I'm putting that up against a good friend, not a bad friend, a false friend, because they're not really a friend. His guidance is deceitful. He might tell you that's what's most important is that you go and do whatever you want to do. Or that your parents are stupid. Or that you have, you have the right to follow your dreams. Whether those come in the form of a new boat or a new wife or a new house. You have that right. You should be happy. That's a false friend. And these plans, they all manifest themselves. They become clear in what we say in our words. Verse 6 says this. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. The words of the wicked, they're like a bloody ambush. They trap and they kill those who least expect it. You might think that group of friends or those, those co-workers that you eat with will have no effect on you, but Proverbs would tell you and tell us to be guarded. And Proverbs calls us to the friend who speaks truth. This is what pulls not only you, but those around you away from death. These words, words that are true and just, they are words that deliver. And just as our thoughts and our plans lead to words, so the words that we speak lead to our, our destiny, our outcome, our destination. Verse 7, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Now we may look around at this world and see what seems like the triumph of the wicked. How is it that wicked men win? How is it that wicked men rule? How is it that God's ways are despised, that God's order is rejected? But verse 7 here, it reorients us to, to God's perspective. The triumph of the wicked is but for a moment. 
They are overthrown and they're no more. But the house of the righteous will stand. It will last forever. So which kind of friend do you want to be? Which kind of friend do you want to surround yourself with? Those who speak deceitfully or those who speak truthfully? Those who will be overthrown or those who will stand? Now, whichever path you choose, your reputation will be known and recognized. Look at verse 8. A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. Ultimately, you will either be praised for your wisdom or hated for your twisted mind. And notice that it's not how much we have or don't have or what we do or don't do, or in what happens to us or doesn't happen to us, what causes others to despise us or praise us is our minds. If you're going to be a good friend to others, then be one who shows good sense through the words that you use, good judgment in the words that you use. You speak words that fit the occasion. But a good friend not only says good things, a good friend does good things. And so Proverbs 12 shifts from a focus on our words to a focus on our deeds. What we do, how we act matters in relationships. And this begins with humility. Verse 9 says this, Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. It's better to live within your means, to, to not even show off, your wealth, to not worry about social importance than to make your life all about these things, whether you have them or not. This is a call to humility. Social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and whatever else is going on or coming up these days, they're overflowing with people that fit this description. They're playing the great man and lacking bread. And these are called social media platforms for a reason. They are stages for people to perform, for people to act out whatever they would like to. And for most, it's a performance about how great one's life is. And, and greatness here is a pretty subjective category, meaning I, it could be wealth, it could be beauty, authenticity, influence. I read about one, one influencer who had something like 2.8 million followers and then the article was about how she couldn't sell 36 t-shirts. And it was like, how, how does this even work? Playing the great man, but lacks bread. Many of these people, they, they are, that's what they're doing. They're playing the great man, and with very few exceptions. Do you know what most of them are not doing? Making a living. They lack bread. These are not the people you want to surround yourself with. These are not the people you want to fill your mind with. You may not know them personally, but maybe you follow them. These are not the friends you want to have, not the company you want to keep, nor is it the kind of friend you want to be. Proverbs twelve seven says to be humble and surround yourself with the humble, not with those who are parading around, but have nothing. Not only is a good friend humble, a good friend is also kind. Look at verse 10. This is kind of a surprising verse. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. I think it's surprising that the teacher would turn to treatment of animals right here in this context. Now, why does God care about how we treat animals? 
Why is this the mark of a righteous man? God cares about it because this is who God is. This is how God deals with his creation. Psalm 149.5.9 says this, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Do you know what God made? Everything. His mercy is over it all. Verse 16 of Psalm 145 says, You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. It doesn't say every person, although that's included in every living thing. It's every living thing. If God is this way, if his care and kindness and mercy is spread out over all that he has made, the same should be true for us. And not just in big things, but in small things, even in how we pay attention to the desires and needs of our animals. This is the kind of friend that you should be, and this is the kind of friend that you want to have. But for the wicked, even their kindness is cruel. The wicked, they're, they're not sincere in their kindness. And, and why do I say that? How do I say that? Because the wicked are only concerned with themselves. Even their kindness is about themselves. It's not to serve others, but to serve themselves. And this is what the wicked, this is what a false friend is all about. Themselves. In everything they do, they are motivated only by selfish desire, and they are stupid because of it. Look at verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. A, a false friend pursues fantasies. He's looking to get rich quick. He is looking to cut corners. He isn't just lazy, but he does what he does want is what's easy. But a good friend, the friend you want to have and the friend you want to be is the one who works his land. He works and he works his land. He's diligent with what God has put before him. He is faithful where God has put him. Now certainly behind all of this are, are, are agricultural realities. We all have land to work, and for some of us here, that's literal. But for most of us, this, is, this should be understood as a metaphor. Our land are, is, is the things that God has called us to. For the young people here, Part of your land might be brushing your teeth or making your bed, doing your chores and your schoolwork, obeying your parents, being kind to your siblings. For others, our land is our, our home, our relationships, our marriage, our workplace, our responsibilities. This is the land that God has given us. And what are we called to do with it? We're called to work it diligently, to work it faithfully. And why do we do this? We do all of this not for selfish gain, not for ourselves, but for generosity. So that we might have what, what verse 11 says, plenty of bread. We work so that we might have enough and so that we might have enough for others. We don't look at what someone else has and say, oh, if only I had that. The wise, the diligent, the good friend does not covet. The righteous bears fruit. Look at verse 12. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, covets what evil people have. But the root of the righteous bears fruit. The false friend is always eager for more, looking for more, more of what others have, more for himself. He's never satisfied. But the good friend bears fruit, fruit for the good of others, fruit which lasts. And then the father gives a summary of his lesson in verses 13 and 14. 
He says this, verse 13, An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Our words and our deeds, we can think of them as, as investments, investments into the future, and they will produce a return. Now that return will either trap us or it will free us. That return will either be destruction or it will be life. It will either satisfy us or leave us wanting. Our words and our deeds are investments. And righteousness and wickedness ultimately bring with them certain outcomes. Righteous friends and wicked friends bring with them definite outcomes. God speaks this truth to us in Proverbs that we might know the goodness of having the right friends and of being the right kind of friend. Now the father opens the second half of Proverbs 12 with a similar call to what he started with. Look at verse 15. It's very similar to verse 1. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The father never wants us to get too far from this call to wisdom, this need for instruction, this need to listen. A fool, they don't think they need this wisdom because they know the way forward. They don't need input because they know what to do. Their way is right. Why? Because it's their way. How could it be wrong? Yesterday, when I turned down the wrong path, you say, I don't care. This way is right to me, so I'm going to go this way. But the wise man listens. It's not that he's unable to decide a matter for himself, but that he is eager to learn. He knows that he's not perfect. He knows he needs help along the way. So if you're going to be wise, if you're going to be a good friend, then, then listen to advice, pursue counsel. And this is, our, this is our second section of the trail. Verses 15 to 23. Number two, how a friend responds when things go wrong. How a friend responds when things go wrong. So he's laid out what a good friend looks like in word and deed. But what do we do when a friend lets us down? And this is really the test of true friendship, right? It's easy to be friends when we have the same interests, when everything's going fine, when we're having fun. But how do we respond when someone insults us? Look at verse 16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, known on the same day. But the prudent ignores an insult. The fool will immediately let everyone know that there's a problem here. Hey, you can't do that! Right away. They don't hold back their tongue. They have no self-control. But the wise, they're self-controlled. They overlook an insult. They forbear when they are wronged. They are patient and kind. So, inevitably, I hate to break it to you, but inevitably, today, as you are wronged, when you are wronged, you're going to be wronged. As someone says or does something that is unkind, or doesn't say or do something that would be kind, as your friend wrongs you, as your sibling wrongs you, as your parent or your child wrongs you, be wise and prudent. Proverbs 12:16 says, ignore the insult. And in that moment that you're wronged, ask the Lord for his help. 
And remember who you're asking help from. He is the one who has the power to rebuke the wind and the sea and bring great calm to the raging waters. Surely he has the power to calm your rising spirit. He does. Cry out to him for help. But there are times when it is necessary to respond to wrongdoing. Perhaps you and your sibling are arguing and your mom comes in and asks, hey, what's going on? This is what verse 17 addresses. Look at verse 17. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. We are to speak truth in these moments. Complete truth. Total truth. And, and honestly assess the, situ- assess the situation. Honestly assess, state what's going on. The alternative to this is to speak lies, to utter deceit. It's to be unreliable and to twist things that put us in a better light, to ensure that we get our own way. And and these are lies. And verse 18 describes just what's going on with these words. Proverbs 12, 18, There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see, the fool, when they're wronged, Not only do they just let everybody know, not only do they speak deceit, they want revenge. So even though your sister was unkind to you, you want to make sure that she gets what you think she deserves. So you twist what happened. You speak lies about what happened. And and your words, Proverbs tells us, they're like sword thrusts. And this isn't just a kid problem. This is an adult problem too. It happens all the time. Words are spoken to to tear apart and tear down those around us. But the wise and the good friend, what do they do? They speak truth. The words that that he uses, they're, they're for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to bring healing, to bring wholeness to the wrong that has taken place. A good friend wants to bring reconciliation, wants to serve others, not their own interests. Even when things go wrong, when they are wronged. They're not only self-controlled by not saying the wrong thing, by not tearing down. That's, that's a good step to take. Don't tear down with your words. But go beyond that. Speak words that bring healing. Look for opportunities to bring healing. So let me ask you, do you bring healing with your words? Do you bring healing with your words when you are wronged by someone else? Or you, do you just want to fix them right then? Stop that. Is that bringing healing? Now the outcome of all of this is revealed in in verse 19. Verse 19 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Just like when the lights go out. But for a moment. They're going to be back on. This ties back to the theme of security we considered last week. And it's something that, that really the Father has in mind all through Proverbs. It's something we've already seen in this chapter. If we're to have security in the midst of life's storms, whether those storms be from our circumstances or from our relationships, then we must be wise and true and faithful. Truthful lips endure forever. Although the Father is focused on the words that we say, God wants us to know that our words come from what's inside of us, from our desires and our hearts and our thoughts. Verse 20 Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. 
but those who plan peace have joy. The fool, the one who plans evil, has only deception in his heart. But the wise, the one who plans peace, the one who seeks restoration, who wants to bring healing, he has joy. Now there are two paths for the friend who has been wronged. So you've been wronged. One path, it's marked joy and security. We've come to a fork in the road, right? Fork in the trail. Joy and security, this way. The other path marked deceit and misery. Those are the two paths. That's what you got. For as verse 21 tells us, is it verse 21? Let me make sure I'm on the right one. Yeah, verse 21. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Joy and security, deceit and misery. But maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know, I face trouble and I don't think I'm wicked. Or maybe you're thinking about someone else who's facing trouble and you're like, they're not wicked. But no ill befalls the righteous? Like, that doesn't make sense. What's the deal here? How can we be so sure about the joy and security of, of the righteous path? How can we be so sure? Because it's all in the Lord's hands. He is the one who determines the outcome for the righteous and the wicked. Though you may face trials now, if you are in Christ, your eternal destiny is secure. Verse 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. It's not only that your future is secure in Christ, but that God delights in those who act faithfully, in those who belong to him. Isn't that remarkable? God delights in those who act faithfully. It's not God has just given a good gift to us, but he delights in giving us that good gift. But what God hates what we are warned against here is lying lips. It's deception. These are things that are an abomination to the Lord. And so I want to speak to the parents just for a moment. One of your most important responsibilities is to train your children to love truth, to not be careless about truth, because truth matters to God. And it matters to God not just in, in big, huge things, but in really small, seemingly innocuous things. So let us be a people marked by speaking truth in our homes, in our workplaces, in our relationships. But speaking truth doesn't mean that we say everything all the time. We need wisdom in what we say. We need grace to be those who speak the right things at the right time to the right people. Words that fit the occasion. For as verse 23 says, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. When things go wrong, a good friend, a faithful friend, a wise friend is one who is self-controlled in what he says. He's not eager to see others suffer for what they've done, but he is patient and kind. He's willing to ignore an insult. Finally, we come to our, our, our trail that's bringing us back, our concluding section, verses 24 to 28. And then the Father here returns to the themes he's covered throughout his teaching. He first returns to our deeds, our, our work in verse 24. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. The friend who is diligent in all that he does will be the one who leads, 
the one who influences, the one who takes responsibility for those who are placed around him. But the false friend, the lazy friend, they won't have a choice in anything. They will be forced to do what they don't want to do, and it will be misery for them. And when a friend is troubled, when he is discouraged, when he is worried about the future, how should we respond? Verse 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. It's a simple verse, but such a good verse, such a helpful verse. A good friend speaks a good word. This, this word for good could also mean kind. They speak a kind word to the one who is discouraged. This, this wonderful and simple direction is, is, guides us in how to be useful and helpful when we don't know what to say. Speak a kind word and make others glad. And with wisdom and righteousness, not only can you speak a good word, you can be a counselor to your friend, leading them in the paths of life. Verse 26, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Follow the flow here. In verse 24, we have a diligent friend who then offers a good word in verse 25. And then here in verse 26, he's, he's giving guidance on what lies ahead. A good friend helps others see what opportunities or dangers might be on his path. But the false friend only leads their friend astray. They don't lead others in a way that, that corrects or instructs or guides, but one that puts one on a path to danger and death. And so, especially young people, as you, as you continue to grow older and as you make new friends, surround yourself with those people who are, who are willing to speak truth, who will correct and guide and counsel in truth. Not those who just agree with everything you do. Not those who are just pulling you in the direction that they want to go or in the direction that your flesh wants to go. Proverbs 12 is teaching us that who we are and who we surround ourselves with is seen so clearly in what we say and do, in our words and deeds. There's no, there's no real hiding it. Verse 27, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. And then verse 28, in the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Verse 27 gives us this vivid picture of, of someone who claims to follow Jesus, who claims to be a good friend, but they're simply lazy. They put forth no effort in obeying, in changing, in disciplining themselves for their good and the good of others, and so they, they languish. They're idle. They go out and they hunt for food. They bring it back, but they don't ever cook it. The meat goes bad, or it's eaten by vultures, and all they face is trouble. But there is a great reward for the faithful, for the one who hopes in the Lord, for the one who walks in the paths of righteousness. There is wonderful promise. And our hope this morning is in this promise. It's not in ourselves. It's in the steadfast love of the Lord. He is the one who is the giver of life and every good thing. He is the one who gives himself for us to redeem us from every evil practice. He is the, the good friend of sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners who is patient with us, who speaks truth to us, who speaks a good word to us, who gives himself for us, who leads us 
in the way way everlasting. So let us find our rest in him and let us live for him. Would you pray with me? Lord, your steadfast love extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains and your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Amen.